0: John O'Zaka here again with Gary Henwood, and welcome to episode number two of the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. Uh, say hello to the folks, Gary. Good, good, everyone. Good John. I, I'm, I'm digging, <laughs> digging the intro song. I, I kind of feel like yeah. uh, Beavis and Butthead a little, like I need to come out <laughs> of that, going <laughs> you know, making yeah, yeah. these uh, peculiar sounds. Okay, um, so uh, today uh, we, we're finally, you know, again, it's only episode number two, but we're, we're hopefully getting into the format of this thing. Uh, we are going to be speaking with Ron Trigg from Mike's Brewery coming up in just a moment, which I'm, I'm kind of excited about. Uh, certainly a legend in the industry uh mike's is the oldest uh craft brewery still operating in new zealand or currently operating in new zealand um so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's it's a special thing uh, to be getting a chance to speak with them. And I think it's kind of appropriate uh, seeing as we're really kicking off what is, I think, going to be the this this new format where we're interviewing uh, professional brewers here in New Zealand fairly regularly. And so, yeah, I think it's a fitting thing to uh, be talking to the oldest uh, currently operating craft brewery in New Zealand. Uh, in 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 anticipation of that, I think we're going to crack a couple of beers here. Well, not mm. I th- not I think we are. Uh, uh, Ron was generous enough to send up a few, uh, well, quite a few bottles of of some of their beer, and we uh, we're we're recording in different locations, but uh, I. Given Gary a bottle and I've got a bottle and we're drinking the same thing so we can talk about it. We are opening up here Mike's Mild Ale. This is, uh, according to Ron, this is sort of modeled after an English dark mild and I believe, uh, as I think he'll say in the interview, uh, this is the original beer that they served or, or one of their oldest beers in their in their lineup. Um, you, you a fan of Mike's there, Gary?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've had. Uh, I think
0: I haven't. Well, to be honest,
1: I haven't had too many Mike's beers, but I had the. What's that one we had? It was the Wee Heavy, was it? I thought that was excellent. Yeah, yeah um, that's great. To, but to be honest, I, I yeah, these days I stay away from hoppy beers in a bottle just because most of the time they're um like, you, know, you get them in a in uh adulterated state. So I have I've stayed away from the hoppy beers, but yeah, the, the the these ones are catching my eye. I like the label on this one too. It's um
0: it's nice yeah they recently sort of revamped their branding and i think i think they've done well i think it's it's all looking pretty good and i think the beer's tasting tasting pretty pretty good as well smells good yeah what do you what do you get off of this uh just uh, a little bit
1: of i'm just smelling malt (laughs) Uh, i'll get maybe a little bit of prune
0: yeah yeah there's Um, i'm I'm getting a little chocolate maybe a little maybe a little bit of chocolate tinge of licorice somewhere in there yeah, yeah, it's that pretty thing that I'm getting. It's um, it's nice. It smells good. It's, I mean, it's
1: not bursting with aroma. It's a four percent mild ale, so you're not expecting a huge amount of to smash you in the face. But it's it's nice. It smells like it should. Yeah. It's man. not not. I'm not getting any oxidation or anything. It's um, that's that's one other thing I want to mention is I'm I'm impressed that I've got a, a, a clearly visible best before date on the on the bottle, which is um, <clears throat> which I appreciate because. A lot of the time, you go into the store and, and they've got a tiny little best before on the neck that you can barely see, and you sort of have to search around for it. And take, you know, it's it's annoying, and um, I'm I'm glad that that's on there. That that's uh, a good sign for the industry, I think, in New Zealand.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sitting here drinking this, tasting it, you know, kind of <clears throat> thinking about what I want to say about it and how it's striking me. Um, mm. you know, I, I really like the style dark mild and you really they're hard to get, you know, uh, it's yeah. it's a style that I probably have more preconceived notions about than actual experience drinking. You know, I brewed yep. one once and I've had the odd one, uh, you know, found the odd one in stores, but there's there's really not too many and I'm trying to think if I've ever had a proper English dark mild, none are coming to mind. Uh, certainly, I've right. had English porters and brown ales, but not not a dark mild. And that's you know where the style uh, comes from, or its origins, are from from England. And I certainly think when I think of classic English uh, pints, I think of a dark mild. But uh, mm. I'm drawing a blanks in terms of actual British examples. But this kind of strikes me that you know this lines up exactly in my mind is what I'd expect a good solid. Uh, dark mild to taste like it's a good four percent craft
1: beer like it's you know it's got enough to keep you interested it's um again you're not expecting a huge amount for for a lot you know four percent four but um yeah it's, it's good it's 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 got character and it's i'd easily drink this
0: for a session beer it's it's amazing to uh think about the fact and, and i hope i have the facts right but to think about the fact that this is sort of where the brewery started so different than mm. uh what you'd expect from a, a brand new brewery totally
1: um totally i mean yeah i, I I'm, I'm surprised i haven't run into it beforehand actually it's um i have not seen mike smiled ale before it's organic so that's gonna um please a, a few people and it's um it's it's full of flavor like i mean well for a four percent it's you I mean it's got a, it's upfront bitterness which is i would say would you know would um probably offend a few people that are, are not used to, to drinking craft beer. But um, once you're a craft beer drinker, this is, you know, it's a really good good beer to, you know, to get into. It's it's something that um, is easy drinking, but it's got enough there, like I said, to, to keep you interested. It's, it's yeah, I'm impressed.
0: Yeah, for, for malt heads like myself, I mean, this goes down really nice. It's certainly not mm. going to please all the all the IPA drinkers out there. It's quite different, very multi mm. beer uh, with almost but no noticeable yeah. kind of hot presence, but it's uh, yeah. really nice.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, it's really, finish is really dry on the palate. Like, it's not cloying at all. Like, there's no, I mean, it's, in fact, there's one thing I may even say if I was going to really pinpoint and say I might want just a bit more perceived body or something. But the finish is really dry. And there's like a roasty character there at the end as well. Mm, So it sort of, it, it sort of enhances the dry, the dryness as well. And a tiny bit of astringency from the dark malt as well. So that's sort of drying out the palate too. So, I mean, um, I don't think that uh, i mean i'm a, i prefer hoppy uh, hoppy beers and to to, a, to just a multi beer and i could easily drink this it's you know it's got that bitterness which is um which is nice it's uh, i think it's really good
0: awesome well um, i'm sure they'll love hearing that and uh, again you know i really appreciate uh, ron sending these up to us and again we'll be we'll be uh cracking into a few more as the show goes on uh before we do uh head on over to that interview and um listen to what ron has to say about their history and the beers that they're brewing uh what's going on with you what's going on at kainui brewing company what's 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 going on in the brewery brewery? yeah uh okay so i am brewing tomorrow which
1: is exciting um i haven't been brewing for quite some time i was away for a couple of weeks in the hawks bay and um and so yeah, I've just been out of the out of touch with brewing beer for a little while, but I'm I'm going to be in, in brewing tomorrow, and from here on in, I'm just going to be you know I'm going to be bottling bottling beers and and packaging beers and getting them ready for excuse me um, getting them ready for sale you know to the to the wider public. So I am very excited about it and a little bit apprehensive because it's like you know got, I, I want to get everything right this time. Like yeah, you know, other times it's sort of like a little bit more relaxed like. If something goes wrong, it's like oh yeah, that beer will be, um, you know, consumed or whatever. Um, he's quickly enough at a concert, but um, this one is a bit a bit more pressure involved, uh, and because I've got to get it in a package, um, you know, oxidation comes into all, all those sort of things. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, it's it's I'm very excited about it. And what did you say you were brewing first? I, I didn't uh, I didn't tell you. It's a uh, Munich Hellas is my oh. first one that I'm going to brew. Um, that's our Kainui Gold beer uh so i it's a traditional german it's gonna be a traditional german style okay I'm, I'm following the rules in this one um i'm not not using new zealand ingredients i'm using all german ingredients um which i'm, I'm okay with um i wanna uh, to keep me interested in this in a, in a sessionable lager i need to you know um do something i need to do it to style for, to please myself i guess more than anyone else um it's it is a it's going to be a concert quaffer uh something to um something in place of a you know just an easy drinking uh beer that that people aren't going to be offended by at a concert and things like that but i also wanted to be proud of it so yeah munich Hellas seemed like the right way to go for me and we'll see how it goes because i haven't brewed one before so it's it's going to be interesting
0: yeah very cool yeah i mean i i love a good munich Hellas, and again another Mm. one Another one I don't get too, too. I don't find too many of them around. Well, there are, I suppose, a few, a few big ones. In fact, there are beers out there calling themselves Munich Helleses, and and perhaps they are. But um, I've had a few really great uh, European examples of the style that seemed quite different to me, and yeah, they they can be really nice. And I I believe that's the first uh, lager that I've heard of you. Uh, crank, uh, cranking out is that right
1: it, yes it is I, it's yeah it's the first one that kind of produced. Um I hope I've stayed away from them just because a little bit more time involved and I've all, I mean you've, you've mentioned in the previous podcast that I'm sort of always out of out of beer so to try and get stuff <laughs> out there all the time it's uh, yeah just normally just chucking out I, I was brewing a, a blonde ale in place as the kind gold previously but um, it didn't really excite me very much so yeah um, yeah, I've, been, I've done a lot of research around this the Munich Hellas, and everyone's—you know—there's a, there's a lot of history there, which is, you know, the romance helps me get excited sure. about it. And yeah, um, yeah everyone's quite uh, precious about you know their their Hellas and and what they want from it. So it'll be interesting to see to see how it turns out, and to see how and then eventually how to see how it's perceived by German drinkers, which I'll be very interested to see because I'm. Get quite a few gym and uh, beer drinkers coming along and, and trying the beer at different events and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll be very interested to see what they think, as well as the the general public.
0: Well, I like for your your sort of uh, take the place of Max Gold at your next concert kind of beer um, mm. that you've gone for. This you know classic style and something yeah. with a, a little bit of art to it. It's still going to please mm. those palates um, mm. that you know don't like a beer that's too challenging and some, want something that's easy to drink and that tastes yeah. like you know in quotes beer. Um, but uh, someone like me can sip it and enjoy it and exactly, be yeah, transported yeah. to uh, Germany and and yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah, well hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and how much of it are you are you brewing up?
1: uh i'm just gonna start with a small batch i'm just gonna start with 200 liters um just m- more for you know just practice than anything else um i don't want to brew it uh, it's, and, and it's not really the time of year to be to be drinking that sort of style anyway so uh, yeah it's just it's just a practice just a pilot press, practice batch um i don't imagine it's gonna you know fly off the shelves shelves in the middle of winter but um yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about brewing it and i've got the Brewed up, uh, uh, built up the yeast starter, so I'm, I'm good to go.
0: Awesome. Well, you'll have to keep us posted on that, yeah. and uh, maybe we yeah. can share a bottle on the show and talk about it and, uh, yeah. you know, hey, get a recipe yeah, from, for sure. from you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, this, this interview with Ron, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a long one. Uh, there was just so much there to talk about that we went on for a while. It's about, I think, I want to say 55 minutes, something like that. So we probably shouldn't waste time, uh, getting to that interview. Um, if you're ready to roll, I think we'll take a quick commercial break and then, uh, we'll, we'll jump right into that interview. We'll have a few beers as we, as we listen back to it, and uh, then we'll we'll reconvene and try a few more beers from Mike's Brewery uh, in, at the end of the interview. Sound good? Mm, sounds good. All right, back in a sec. The Shout.co.nz is the home of New Zealand Liquor News.
1: With daily updates featuring the latest and greatest news, announcements and views for the New Zealand liquor trade industry. The shout.co.nz has everything you need to keep up with happenings in on-premise and off-premise information, beer, wine and spirit news and everything in between. You can register for our weekly
0: e-newsletter at shout.co.nz That's the shout.co.nz All right. On the line with me is Ron Trigg from uh, Mike's uh, Brewery. Mike, uh, Mike, Ron. There we go. That must happen a lot. How are you doing today? <laughs>
2: it does. <laughs> G'day, John. All good.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, being A yeah,
2: couple, couple, couple of my friends in Auckland called me Mike Ron.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It
2: gets confusing.
0: Well, um, why don't we kind of s- just kind of start at the beginning? Just give folks that are listening a sense of the brewery, you know, before we get into the backstory and all of that, and and, and why you're called Mike's instead of Ron's, for that matter. Uh, why don't you just kind of give give everyone the stats and let everyone know uh, a little bit about the brewery, where you are, uh, where you're located, what kind of brewery you are, perhaps your your output size, that kind of thing.
2: Yep. Well, good. Um, yeah, Mike's Brewery, um, formerly known as Mike's Organic Brewery. Uh, before that, White Cliffs organic brewery. Uh, we're actually the oldest um, real craft brewery in the country, um, based in rural Taranaki, so uh, out on the west of the North Island. And, yeah, we're literally surrounded by farmland, um, tiny little spot out in the middle of nowhere, um, sort of about half an hour north of New Plymouth. Um, the origin, original sort of out, output of gear was we had a 1,000-litre brew kit. Um, we've now upgraded that over time to... About uh, two to two and a half thousand litre output, um, and we're still in a series of sheds out in the middle of nowhere. But you know, that's over, <laughs> over time it's evolved, right. and so there's, there's, uh, every every time we need a bit more capacity, we we build another shed. So it's, a, it's essentially a collection of collection of sheds, and then the brewery as well. We we take pride in the fact that we um, sort of coming from the, the old days, as it were. Uh, we haven't got all the flashy new Chinese shiny stainless steel equipment. Um, our brewery's been cobbled together out of a, a series of old dairy milk vats and old beer cellar tanks and bits and pieces so there's a there's a, there's a saying that still some old people hang on to in Taranaki that goes something along the lines of it it takes a you know, well there's a there's a fair bit of respect for someone that can make honey from goat shit <laughs> um and we, <laughs> we sort of, our, our brewery's not one of the flashiest flashiest ones out there but you know it's clean and you know it, it serves our purpose and, yeah, some people sort of say that gives you a, you know, a, a bit of a there's a there's a strain that you can sort of taste the brewery through all the, all the beers. Right. And and I suppose that's the case. We've always done things slightly differently from the from the norm, but yeah, we're chugging along. Um, yeah, really, really, really into the local local community. Our our mantra is pretty simple, um, and yeah, Mike's uh, our, our, um, our whole, whole mantra is just being about you know wanting to be a, a valued member of the community, and that's the the local community, the national community, and, and international.
3: So nice. we,
2: we, we're chugging along, and we sort of punch above our weight, weight category quite a bit. We're quite small, but still there after twenty-eight years.
0: Yeah, I was surprised to hear you just say that you're only at around um, was it twenty-five hundred liters there, because uh, your presence is pretty uh, huge for a brewery that size. I mean, you're 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 up here in the far north, and you have been for a long time. So that that, that means means something because until recently we didn't this, have many craft breweries. That's
2: one of the things. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, I but I, I think that's one of the things with us as well. I think we just lacked from, um, I don't know, uh, just been a bit too humble, yes. um, which is you know a classic kind of um, you know rural, rural Taranaki, rural New Zealand kind of thing, I suppose. As we haven't been out there making a hell of a lot of noise, um, you know, it surprised me over the, over the years it, and and more more so recently, actually, you know, encountering other breweries and brands out there and 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 sort of seeing the. Their footprint, etc., and you know, you see the, the amount of noise they make, and then you go and have a look, and it's like, you know, what is this? It is this your annual turnover? <laughs> is this your annual capacity? It's right. like, oh, we're three times that size, you know, and yeah, we probably just don't make as much noise, and we haven't been too, you know, too too obvious, I suppose. And it, it's been probably and victims of a, a sort of own humility, I suppose, to a certain right. extent.
0: Right. Um, well, and and while we're at it, is the what, what kind of brewery? Are you production primarily? Are you a brew pub? Uh, what's the experience like for someone coming to
2: visit you? Um, definitely, definitely a production brewery. Um, so over the years, I mean, uh, if if you know where we are, it's it's, it's pretty damn rural. Um, we don't have an immediate sort of uh, local clientele. Um, we we're in the middle of farmland, as I mentioned. Uh, we we more and more now we've got a we've got a um, a cafe tasting room on site. And so uh, the weekends are getting busier and busier. We're open seven days a week, um, year-round, and uh, not in the evening. So it's kind of from 10 in the morning till 5 in the evening. Um, and we're getting, on the weekends, more and more people traveling from New Plymouth as a bit of a destination. up. we do really, really big pizzas. Um, so we'll do, you know, pizzas and beer and um, uh, really family-friendly, kiddie friendly There's, you know, oodles of... Lawn and space and kitty climbing frames and bits and pieces. So more and more families kind of coming out for that sort of hangout. Um, tourists will always um, drop in on the way past when they see a sign that says brewery. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a combination of that, but it's a it's still a fairly small part of the business. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously because of where we are, there's not much population. So we've always sold our beer all around the country. Um, we've all, we've done a little bit of export over the years, but it's not something that's ever been a, a big part of the business or a big focus. Um, and we we're now um on a on a real big mission to actually sell more beer in Taranaki. So um as the the market changes with the uh sort of advent of, of, of new breweries every month, um I think there's a little bit more play on localization. So yeah. you know, in the early days in the early days, you know, when we we're talking you know, 12, 15 years ago, the only place we could sell our beer was in Wellington because <laughs> <laughs> nowhere else in the in the country would would buy would buy craft beer. So that was it. You know, and I think everybody from around the country focused on Wellington, and that was it. So on-premise, off-premise, that 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 was it, and you know, a little bit, a little bit locally, directly. So um, that's changed and changed really rapidly. So mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, I mean, I think going back, yeah, I'm, I'm not good with timing, six, seven years ago. Uh, the closest thing to brewery in Wellington was Tuatara, and they were in Kapiti. Uh, now I understand there's 20 breweries in downtown Wellington. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> changed, you know, and the, the population hasn't grown uh, grown or changed, so the, the market is becoming busier, yeah. and, and as it does so, you know, things have got to change. So we're actually in the process of, um yeah, just consolidating a bit more locally, um, and then trying to get more into the mainstream. Um, we've always sold our beer through... Um, supermarkets and uh, New World's in particular Um, that's always been a a focus but we've always dealt individually with the stores Um, now we've got a little bit more of a push getting into the the distribution centres and trying to make that more of a a a national um, focus Uh, we've always had a a South Island uh, distributor based in Christchurch and they've typically dealt with the South Island from there Mm -hmm. so yeah it's getting further and further afield but I I suppose the key to that or the caveat to that is is it's all been quite small, right. um, you know. So we haven't done haven't done the massive volumes, but they have, yes, have had that reach, you
0: know. Right, right. Well, speaking speaking of going back uh, a few decades and to the early days of New Zealand's craft beer scene, uh, take take us back there if you would. Uh, so you know, what what were you doing? <laughs> what what got you into brewing? You know, t- take us to the beginnings of your your brewing path. <clears throat>
2: Cool. Um, yeah, I didn't start the brewery. So um, the, the our brewery was started in uh, 1989. Uh, chap by the name of Mike Johnson, and uh, Mike was sort of a, uh, a hippie from the from the 70s, I suppose, I like, over into the 80s.
3: Right.
2: <laughs> Mike we had his 60, 60th birthday the other day, so he's not that old. Um, but yeah, Mike Mike sort of got going. He was made redundant from a, a job that he had in the oil and gas industry, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was brewing. Mike's Mild Ale was was the only beer he was brewing it on a homebrew scale, but but quite a large homebrew scale. Uh, And and, (laughs) yes, some would say some some of it was being sold sold illicitly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was essentially a bunch of mates uh, amongst which some English expat mates um, that convinced him to to take the brewery, you know, commercial and do it properly. Um, And thus the the, the Dark Mild Ale, which we'll talk about a bit later. But um, he got going and he got a grant. Uh, back in the day eighty uh, nine uh, I think he was telling me they got a, a grant for i think twelve thousand dollars from the local community development board or something and uh, I think family and friends pitched in, and they got another thirteen thousand uh, dollars twenty five thousand dollars to start a brewery mm-hmm. and so they did and it was you know as I said, a collection of old uh you know dairy vats and bits and pieces, a lot of it was on loan, and I think a lot of it probably unofficially on loan um and got going but it was you know there was a, a vastly different time. Um I bought the brewery as a as a, as a family business uh two thousand and seven, so ten coming out eleven years ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and yeah, even even then, you know, so we were talking I think there were thirty thirty breweries at the Brewers Guild. Um I think we'd had our I think two thousand and seven uh two thousand seven I think was only the, the second or third uh or might have been actually the first Brewer's Guild um international New Zealand Beer awards that year um mm-hmm. uh, previously there were two there were two sort of splinter uh, awards and i think two thousand and seven uh, was amalgamated um but yeah it was a, it was a vastly different scene everyone knew everyone um and yeah we were kind of dotted all around the country there was no major concentration anywhere
3: mm-hmm.
2: um and it was it was just a case of and I, and I suppose that came again from originally being a bit a little bit localized um but then as as we sort of I suppose perfected our our um, processes etc a little bit and and then got a bit more reliability into the, into the into the production and packaging processes um you know everyone started moving around the country and as I said everyone generally gravitated and you know towards wellington but right. yeah you know vastly vastly different you know um, sure. but yeah over the years it's, it's, it's changed a little bit but you know everyone's still relatively relatively open um you know there's are still I can't think of very many breweries in the country that I couldn't just, you know, w- waltz or wander into and say, hey, g'day, and, you know, people don't get too cagey.
3: Sure.
2: Uh, <laughs> having said that, one of the newest ones in Wellington, we just went down. We were, con- we were contract brewing for uh, Duncan's, uh, uh-huh. George Duncan. we have been uh, brewing a few of his beers for a while. That contract brewed elsewhere. And um, when we, we, we approached us and we, we brewed um, some of his beers over the, the space of about a year or 18 months, and yes yeah, since we started brewing the beers he said his brand just took off uh, which might have just coincided with you know good timing um in wellington but yeah he said the the, the beers tasted quite distinctly different from what they had previously mm-hmm. and he said oh god run i don't know what we're going to do now the hipsters are starting to like my beer we need to <laughs> brew more of it and he said that initially when he came to me he said oh you know he says well, my, my beer is like old school and you know my my, my customers are my dad's mates uh, you know we, we don't want to do anything too outrageous but um, just the way that, you know, subtle changes to the beer, we said they were really well-received and to the point where he's now built his own brewery. And right. so, uh, essentially across the road from Tuatara and Kapiti, um, he's, he's, he's got a shed and he's, he's brewing as of uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we, we went down there last week and checked out his new packaging uh, packaging line and, and uh, went and, you know, looked at how he's doing some stuff. And, yeah, super excited. and he did offer to take us across the road to have a look at the (laughs) brewery, but they're not quite as open as they used to be so we went to land inside um like 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 we used to be since since the new owners have taken over
0: that's too bad um but yeah you you do bring up a good point it's something we talk about a lot you know this industry just beer in general i think this is true in most countries um it's such a open industry i think compared to you know perhaps um uh wine or something like that where it's more secretive and it's an insider's club you know the uh brewers are Not afraid to share secrets and recipes and uh resources and all these things it's quite it's quite a good vibe um it it
2: has been i've heard i've heard it said by winemakers you know some some winemakers have come to visit us and then you know i'll I'll, I'll mention stories and relate you know visiting this brewery or that brewery and they're like what do they let you inside like what do you mean (laughs) that they let us inside and they said yeah there's no way in hell that you know fellow winemakers would would be quite so open
0: yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a refreshing thing to experience. Um, going back to, you know, you again, that beginning and, and purchasing the brewery, did you have a background at all in brewing? Uh, was this just something that was available? Um, how did that come to be?
3: No,
2: I did just uh, home brewing, um, yeah. as much, much, you know, much as the story goes, um, didn't do any all grain brewing. I, I started home brewing in Auckland, uh, originally came from, from Africa and arrived in Auckland and, you know, realized how bad the, how bad the, the, the mainstream beers really were, um, and yeah, started homebrewing almost immediately in Auckland just from kits, right. and then sort of took it up another level and started modifying the the, the old kit sets, the the, the malt extract, and um, home brews, um, adding a bit of this and adding a bit of that, and uh, that that sort of ignited my my interest, and then uh, moved down to Taranaki, and no, we we were farming, um, so I uh, I bought a, a, a big three hundred and fifty acre farm down the road from where the brewery is, um, and we had had established an organic avocado orchard, and um, we're raising uh, raising cattle, uh, uh, beef, and then rearing dairy peppers as well. Mm -hmm. So it was all very, very rural to focus. And um, yeah, the brewery came up for sale, and it was ironically through the organic avocado thing and the organic beer that we we sort of got together and spoke to the, the, the previous owner and was like, oh, hang on. And, yeah, never, ever in my wildest dreams thought we'd be able to um, afford it. But, um, yeah, we were just really fortunate and and had really good equity, I suppose, in the value of the the farm. Uh, Bought the farm at a really good time. And so, um, you know, in in theory, um, was able to borrow money. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, got into it completely blindly. Uh, My dad, whose name is Mike, (laughs) needed a a job. Uh, My parents were sort of both of retirement age, but couldn't afford to retire. They'd, they'd recently emigrated from uh, from South Africa, and um, yeah, we just sort of got going. And I, I had a day job still as well, so I, had a, uh, I was a product development uh, manager, R and D manager for a, an aluminium extrusion company, uh, which is where our background is, is, is all engineering, really, from from Africa. And um, I sort of Ooh, okay, I had a look at the brewery, the farm um sort of was wasn't paying its bills. It was, you know, a hell of a lot of work for everyone, but certainly wasn't paying its, its bills and as I said my parents needed a job, so I looked at it a little bit more seriously and when we, we, we did the numbers and um someone convinced me that yeah, actually you, you, you could borrow enough money to do this. So unfortunately it was all done on borrowed money from, from day one. Um and we, we jumped into it, you know, probably a little bit ill prepared. Um but he had you know big ambitions to grow grow the business pretty quickly, and which we we did. Um, we grew for the first oh six six years. Um, mm-hmm. We grew by thirty percent each year, um, which starting from a you know quite a small base, but you know it was it was pretty impressive growth figures for again a time when you know craft beer wasn't wasn't the cool the cool kid that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was it was hard hard fought growth really. Right. Um, but, yeah, managed to, achieve, managed to achieve the growth and, you know, on advice from um, accounting professionals and, and, and the like, um, that was what, was what was really needed. But, um, yeah, it took quite some time and eventually got to a point where, you know, started questioning whether all this growth was, you know, was, was what we needed to do. And, and, you know, the profitability just wasn't there. Um, in the early in the early days it was it was damn hard to sell beer you know mm-hmm. uh, and you could only sell it for what people would pay for it so yes you knew you had to be in the supermarkets and yes you knew you had to be out there distributing it but um, you know people would only pay so much and there was a kind of a price mould if you like set by, by mainstream beer and, and there, there wasn't yet that craft category so yeah we were in the early days we were selling our beer in, in 330 more bottles in, in right. and four uh, packs and yeah I'll get it uh, the other one that came along, I remember when, when um, Luke Nicholas when epic into the fray. Was like, oh, "What the hell are you selling in four packs for? Like, beer should be in a six pack." And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember my words to him at the time was to Luke Was like, "Oh, good luck selling, you know, good luck selling your six pack when, when it's twenty bucks." You know, no one's going to pay twenty dollars for a six pack. Are you mad? You know, <laughs> right. and so we were selling four, four packs for around uh, you know the fourteen dollar mark. We mm-hmm. found that we could get it to fifteen and a bit, but as soon as the four pack hit sixteen dollars. Bang! It just stopped selling, you know, right. because I think people's kind of four times table, were was a little bit better than the, than the, than you know, their five times table. I don't know, but it was it was just essentially when people figured out that they were paying, you know, four dollars a beer, um, versus you know what 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 made, you know everyone believed that beer should be a dollar a bottle, uh, it was like oh geez that's too much you know this is too much of a stretch because people didn't yet understand, you know, what that big difference was. So, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was bloody hard in the early days. You, you kind of spent 80% of your time convincing people, you know, why, you know, why, what was different? Why was this different? You know, how come they had to pay much, you know, so much more for it. So, um, in a way, you know, a lot of our time and effort and energy was, was, was spent in doing just that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, there was, there was very different. And then, yeah, over time, you know, when we had a look at it and thought, jeep, this, this, this growth is, is, is great, but we're not making any money. So that's kind of when we, we sat back and had another look at it and changed changed direction a little bit and tried different bottle formats, uh, different packaging formats. And uh, we were one of the earlier ones to put beer out in a, in a 750ml bottle. Right, um, okay. So changing from the 330s to the 750s. It was like hang on a minute you know when we first put our, our whiskey porter out which was back in those days all our beers were organic as well it was also part of a part of the mantra we, we were certified organic and at one stage we had 12 certified organic beers because we thought oh, that was a you know point of difference as well mm-hmm. um which didn't pan out to be the case we we will we talk about it later but anyhow um you know whiskey porter when we I, I produced the first batch of whiskey porter I remember going to Regional Wines and Spruits in Wellington. I, I knew I had a special beer on my hands. It was sort of happened half by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, once once I had it ready, ready to bottle, it was like, man, this is pretty cool. Um, and realized we want to put it in, you know, special packaging and, you know, get it out there and, and, and really celebrate it. So we imported some bottles from um, from Belgium. Um, we couldn't get them locally, so I had the beer in barrels and I got it out of the barrels and had it in the tank. And... Um, we imported these bottles from Belgium, so we wanted these sort of flashy-looking Belgian bottles, mm-hmm. uh, which looked like the Chimay, Chimay bottles, etc. Sure. So uh, I remember when I eventually had it ready, I'd bottled it, and uh, we didn't have enough money to to get the labelling, get the labelling done. We would had the design work done on the labels, but excuse me, didn't have enough money to have the plates produced, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> so it's some mock-up labels, which I'd put on the bottle with a bit of a bit of blue tape. You, you couldn't even get like low. You know low run digital stuff like you can nowadays there sure. wasn't even an option so we stuck these labels on and then um, gave people a taste of the beer and i remember going to regional wines and spirits in wellington and in the day and, and and gave guys a taste of the beer and they was like wow that's amazing and i had some in a little keg and uh, we did some as part of a uh, beer and food matching thing that we had done with some cheese and a bit of a promo thing that we'd done and they all yeah everyone was in agreement you know the beer was really really amazing it was something quite special 10%, you know, aged in these whiskey barrels and lovely porter and yeah, it was super exciting. And I said, okay, well, there you go. Here's he the beer in the bottle now and with its mock-up label on, I said, well, you know, how much do you reckon we could sell it for? And they were like, oh, okay. And um, got talking about it and eventually the consensus came back that they thought we could sell it for about 12 or $13 a bottle and uh, for this big 750ml bottle. And, I, and when I asked them, you know, how did they arrive at that, they said, oh, you know, they had... Chimay Grand Reserve and one or two others of that sort of similar sort of ilk of a beer, and they were selling for around the sort of $15 a, a, a bottle for that same sales bottle. Mm-hmm. And um, so they thought that we could sell ours, but you know, not quite as much as that, but somewhere close to that. And I was like curious and said, so, you know, well, why wouldn't we sell those for more than that? And they're like, oh, no, shit, you know, this <laughs> stuff you know comes out- halfway around the world, you know. And I said, yeah, yeah but they're producing it in, you know, 200,000 litre batches. <laughs> this stuff, I think the first batch, I think we had 302 bottles, uh, you know, was the, was, was the whole batch. And I said, no, we're going to have to sell this stuff for, you know, $25 a bottle, um, you know. It's got to be really special. And they was like, oh, no, you'll never sell that. So oh, I went away with my tail between my legs a little bit and thought, oh, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And uh, we had we had um, we had the beer of the brewery. As I said, I'd already bottled it, but couldn't couldn't afford to label it. So I had it set in you know set in the shed, um, and, you know just sitting in the bottles. And, and we had this taster keg on the counter, and everyone that came into the brewery we used to have the taste, little wee tasting room inside the brewery in those days. And everyone that came in would you know sell them some beer and oh have a taste of this one. And they'd have a taste and go, oh that's amazing yeah i'll have some of that and go, oh they're not ready yet we haven't got a bottle yet um, but if you give us your email address we'll let you know when we got it done and um you know people tasted over a few months and eventually when we got to the point that we had the had the labels ready and we were ready to go with the stuff um i'd contacted regional wines and spirits and the various others i think there were only three stockists think it was uh, I think there was uh, in the early days. Uh, Victoria Park New World was a really good stockist. Uh, Lloyd Cullen was the, the liquor manager back then, or beer manager. And I think Hamilton Beer, or it used to be called Hamilton Wine Company. I think they were they were the other ones. And I think Regional Wines. There might have been the only three stockists in the country. And I remember contacting Regional and I said, okay, you know, this is the story. I've got it ready for sale. Here's the picture. And they said, well, how much is it? And I said, oh, whatever it equates to, but we had to sell it for twenty five, twenty five dollars a bottle. And I was like, "Oh shit, you know, ooh, how many in a carton?" I said, well, "There's 12 in a carton." And they, and they said, "Oh sure, okay, all right, we'll give us 12." And I said, "12 cartons." Oh no, 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 just 12 bottles. Just, just. I said, "You're taking one carton." they was like, "Yeah, yeah, no, that'll, uh, we don't think it's going to sell very well at that price." But oh well, you know, let's, let's do this. And eventually, when we were ready, we sent them the one carton and um, all these all these email addresses that we'd collected over the time, giving people sips in the brewery um i had 800 over 800 email addresses and we sent them out and said hey you know you can buy from the brewery or if you're in hamilton or auckland or wellington these are the three places you can buy them and i sent the email out and (laughs) within about half an hour we got a phone call from regional wines and like, oh and i think the message was there was david back in the day David, david conway said what's the position on Mike's Whiskey Porter? And we got the phone message. What's the position? What the hell does he mean by that? <laughs> that I don't know. Right? But appa- appa- apparently they sold the 12 bottles within about 15 minutes of the email going out. People rushed <laughs> straight down and we bought it. Nice. And uh, so first thing on the Monday morning, the, the, the first phone call we received on the Monday morning was, was David again. And he, and he asked me the same question. And I said, I don't know. What do you mean by the position, David? It's like it's right over here in the, in the, in the shed. He said, no, no, i mean to how much have you got? And I said, oh, okay, I'll have to go now. He said, well, we'll take the lot. I said, but I haven't told you how much we got yet. He said, no, that's okay, we'll take all of it. So I said, oh, okay. So we, we didn't end up giving them all of it, but they, they took a nice big shipment and, and sold it really well. And, you know, so we thought, oh, man, you know, we've, we've nailed it now. This is, this is the secret. We're not going <laughs> right. to sell anything in 330 mil, 330 mil bottles anymore. This is, this is the new format. So we did. We launched um, We launched an imperial, uh, organic imperial porter we did in the 750 mil bottle. And then also, what do you mean, about a year later, we we launched a double IPA. So going back, that would have been 2010, I think, probably
3: 2010,
2: Mm -hmm. uh, 2011, could have been, was the first uh, imperial IPA that we did with a 9% super hoppy, all-American hops, you know, organic imperial IPA. And, um, you know, at at the time we did it, it was just, you know, it was insane. It was the, the hoppiest beer in New Zealand by you know, by three times, there was, you know, uh, Epic Epics was doing Epic Pale Ale um, and you yeah, hadn't, hadn't gotten as far as Armageddon yet. Um, and this was just, you know, something over the top, you know, it was, it, was, it was insane. People were just like, wow, what is this? So it was extremely well received. But again, uh, you know, when 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 we when it got down to it and, you know, the beer started coming out, we sold it for a while really well, but that was retailing around the $20. 20 dollar mark which mm-hmm. again for the time was, was really really pricey and so you know we found oh hang on. you can get margin but no volume now you know so right. and then it wasn't it wasn't until the, the advent of the the sort of 500 ml bottle market that we finally you know found the sweet spot when you know it sounds stupid now when you look back on it but you know it was it was, it was a pretty big revelation back then was when we when we found we could sell loose 500 ml bottles in the supermarket um that we found hang on yeah you can get to margin that you need to, to to make a buck and at the same time you know a bit of volume and that was it wasn't until that happened that you know it actually was a viable a viable business really
0: I, I With all this talk of the beers, you're kind of making me thirsty, uh, you know, uh, for, for for everyone listening. Uh, let, let's assume uh, maybe the listener has not had a chance to try your beer. Can you kind of t- talk a bit about the beers? Let's talk about maybe your core line and then a couple of the specialties. I know you guys brew a lot of different things, but just to give people a sense of, of what you do, what you're about, describe some of those core beers. Sure.
2: Definitely. Um, yeah, you know, we have to start at the beginning. Uh, Mike smiled out. Um, you know, quintessentially Mike's, I suppose. Um, very unusual. Again, you know, when I asked Mike in the, in the early days, why the hell did you start with that beer? It couldn't have been more different from anything in the marketplace if you tried, you know. People were were, were, were into, you know, yellow, yellow fizzy stuff. And um, so it's brewed in the style of an English dark mild, mm-hmm. um, only 4% ABV, um, but just roasty-toasty. Um, a lot of uh, ladies, for some reason, over the years have said to me that it, it doesn't, taste as dark as it looks. Um, which I think kind of refers to the fact that it's not heavy, it's not bitter. Um mild ale is typically very mildly hopped. Mm-hmm. Um so thus the thus the, the mild moniker. Um quite strangely nowadays
3: uh,
2: <laughs> with the advent of these supposed mid strength beers they're calling them, when we put it out there, I think eight people out of out of ten when we offer them offer them the beer or show them the beer it's say, like, oh you got a mid ale, yeah, yeah, sweet it is. It's like no, no, it's not a mid ale, it's a mild ale. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we'll take some of the mid ale. That's a good idea. <laughs> it's like I'm oh, not yeah, I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing. <laughs> but that's right. where that is. We don't do any. We don't do any low alcohol beer. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't think that we've got to, I I don't know. I think it's something that if, you, if you're going to be doing it, you've got to do large volumes of it, and we're not a we're not a large volume brewery, so don't think we'll go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to do zero, zero alcohol beer one day if we can, but uh, yeah, the low alcohol can't see the point. To be fair. Right um so yeah, um yeah, from moving on from there we've we've got a, a range of dark beers a uh, chocolate milk stout um which is you know neither chocolate nor milk, but a uh, you know a nice roasty, toasty stout at five and a half percent, um really easy drinking dark beer, not again, not too bitter um and I, I think one of the, the themes that come through with with all of our beers is the probably l- lower lower carbonation mm-hmm. um as we as we're not you know not too gassy um all the beers are typically um we take a lot longer to brew our beers than, than what most people do okay so um and um, as a result you're kind of getting a finer i suppose a finer carbonation coming through it's not not as the bubbles aren't quite as big and gassy
3: mm-hmm. so
2: that that's probably one feature um dark beers uh, one that we we we're well known for strangely enough in that they the best-selling beer is our vanilla coffee porter it's an eight percent imperial porter um, infused with uh, organic uh, Peruvian coffee beans um, and some Fiji and vanilla. And yeah, that sort of chugs along. But it, you know, it's a big Nice. Year and, that's your best seller. Uh, uh, in, in the Auckland area, just on oh, premise in particular. It's, it's just uh, it's one of those odd quirks. I'm not sure why. Not elsewhere in the country that just seems to be... Right, awesome. right. No, it's a, um, it's a great
0: beer. i was just curious. Usually, it's always IPA that you hear about selling <laughs> best no matter where you are. So, yeah, it, uh, well, you know, we,
2: we, we, we sell. I mean, overall, we, we do the, the two biggest sellers would be our, our one more pale ale, okay. uh, Oompa, um, which has evolved a little bit over the years. It was a, it was a beer that... I, I first brewed it was a mistake. I was try- <laughs> I was trying to do something completely different, but sort of came out. of it, oh, it's not a bad pale ale, and uh, the the difference with it uh, is I think and and I think that's probably true for all of our beers. Is, is I like a beer with a bit of body. Um, I don't like skinny and skinny and dry and chalky. Yeah,
3: same um, here.
2: so you know uh, that's that's definitely one of one of my preferences, which has come through in all of our beers. Um, so yeah, this is a, a, a pale ale which has now evolved into a five and a half percenter, but it. it's a real Typical New Zealand hops, um, lots of Motueka hops in it, it's really grapefruity um so it's got this kind of zesty punchy it's not very well balanced technically um but super drinkable um, and doesn't finish too dry um there was a, a style evolving which i think is kind of still there but certainly going back two or three years ago uh i sort of started dubbing the wellington pale ales um and these, these uh wellington breweries you know with an apa new zealand apa or american apa um and they just all taste the same you know and they'd finish really dry typically um but tastes very very similar and so i was on a trip to wellington and you know got around five bars and 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 all five bars had at least two of them on from you know four or five breweries and it's like i don't know if you guys have realized it but the last four bars that i've been to you're all selling the same beer you know and there's there's nothing nothing different it's becoming really uniform and it's like man you know we we definitely don't want to brew one of those so and that's that's a big seller in our pilsner um we, we now have dubbed pilsner. Um it's not the typical New, New Zealand Pilsner, but it's definitely nothing like the, the Czech or or, or um, um German pilsners. It it's it's uh, you know, more zesty in the sort of typical New World um, New Zealand style with our New Zealand hops. Um doesn't have the big rewalker loading or the or the body that that a lot of them do. Ours is, ours is fairly skinny. Mm-hmm. Um and sort of more lemony limey. We use a bit of Pacifica hop in there, quite, quite pro- which is quite prominent. Um, and then yeah, moving on through uh, one of the stalwarts, our uh, um, Taranaki IPA or TIPA. Um we used to just call it TPA or yeah, it was called TIPA, uh, TPA or Taranaki Pale Ale. But as uh, people find in the, in the in terms of marketability, just as you were saying previously, is you know if it's got IPA in the name, then it it sells twice twice as well. And so you get a bunch of beers out there that are clearly not IPAs and and, and you know nowhere near the IPA category. In, in terms of, like, American IPA, where there'll be, you know, 4.7%, you know, IPA. And it's like, hmm, that's not an IPA. Uh, <laughs> that, but, you know, put IPA in the name in itself. Yeah. So we, we capitulated eventually and called it Taranaki um, IPA.
3: Right. Oh, well, very cool.
2: Um, right. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a 7% or so. And then we do a um, a SMASH uh, version. Well, not, not a version of that, but we do another 7% IPA. Um, SMASH, which stands for single malt and single hop um full nelson which is all just with nelson sovon hops uh which is quite unusual and then yeah a bunch of seasonals uh which we you know, continue doing sour beers is another one there's a you know a few breweries recognized yeah. as, as sort of doing the sour thing and yeah i think we were doing the sour thing before it was a thing uh-huh. <laughs> so we we've going back over the years our uh strawberry sour was probably one of the, the best received in the in the early days um, we did a, a couple of barrel aged sours. Our uh, Black Doris them, Malambic um, was 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 you know really well received. Um, uh, Rubus Lambicus was a sour um, a, a sour raspberry pilsner. Um, yeah, I've barrel that. barrel sour like that. raspberry pilsner. Uh, Rubus the friguria lambicus more recently was a, a strawberry barrel sour malambic um, style um, um, uh, fruit ale um and we've just got coming out uh, next week um we've got what we've just bottled it um haven't labeled it a one called damson in distress which is very different from all the others it's a, a gin plum sour um which is yeah, it's a bit unusual it's got the damson plums that we've used and uh, had them in gin for uh, about 18 months and then taken them out of the out of the gin and put them into a fermenter with uh, the beer which was in the barrels so that, that's quite different, it's quite dry from the gin, but it's certainly quite tart as well. So we have kind of been doing them, and I, I think one of the reasons we don't get, uh, I suppose, recognised as the, you know, the 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 the, the, the groundbreakers or the whatever, is, is just that whenever we're doing anything, it's in, in quite small, quite small batches. So the yeah. kind of market impact is pretty limited, and it's I suppose it's one of the things we've suffered from all along. You know, so you you put some amazing beer out, but the you know the impact is quite limited because um, you know it just doesn't make it out that far and wide. Um, mm-hmm. Case in point, my son was showing me something on um, uh, Untapped recently, looking at Untapped ratings, and I think we're rating. If you look at the overall average ratings of of our beers, I think we rate up in the top sort of five or six. Uh, you know, in terms of rating averages of, of all our beers in in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beers are relatively well received, but. Um, I mean when you look at the most popular brewery, I think we'd be down at you know twelve or fifteen or something like that we 'd be quite a way down and then if you look at you know number of ratings we 're down you know probably fifty or sixty um, right, just right. because the, the beers aren 't that widespread, so again, there comes that you know lack of uh, i suppose confidence or you know just not backing ourselves up and pushing pushing hard enough so right. you know that that 's what 's starting to change.
0: Well, um, uh, I'm looking at the clock here and seeing that we're kind of, you know, we're kind of running long. Um, But before we go, there was one, you know, huge thing that I want to ask your help on. So, uh, you know, this show is, well, I imagine there'll be a lot of people in the industry that listen to it. But um, homebrewers uh, is really who we imagine our our sort of target audience being. uh, A lot of homebrewers listening to this, trying to get insight into New Zealand's brewing scene. And there are certainly other shows out there that will get recipes from these pro brewers and then. Uh, uh, homebrewers can go out and try and clone the recipes um, as I think a bit of a just, try, you know, it's a, it's an exercise trying to hit a mark and it's a lot of fun for us as homebrewers, but yeah. it's, it's hard in New Zealand because you can find these clone uh, recipes from all these international breweries but there are not a lot of them available here in New Zealand. <laughs> so, so you can't, yeah, you, well you can well I don't know, I just don't know that anyone's necessarily going out and asking to be honest I, I haven't found yeah, New sure. Zealand brewers to be, you know, as I was saying before I think they're pretty open. but um, So that's one of the things that we're hoping to introduce to this show is just uh, providing a recipe, uh, either sort of one of uh, an award-winning recipe of my own or um, from homebrew competitions or a recipe from Gary, who's uh, cool. our, our co-host here, or uh, a, better yet, recipes from uh, pro- professional brewers such as yourself uh, so that people can go out and actually buy the bottle instead of just attempting to hit a mark and wondering if they've hit it, go out and uh, buy the beer and see. How okay. close they get. So, if you are open to it, I would love to uh, ask you if there's a recipe of, of one of your beers that you might be uh, interested in sharing with with the listeners. Yeah, we could do that. Awesome. Well, tell tell it's us d- about that, what beer you're interested in sharing.
2: Um, I think one one of our beers, are, I suppose encompassing encompassing what we do. I mean, we've spoken about dark uh, dark beers, etc. But as I, I suppose, one of the big features of our our breweries fact that I was saying, you know, um not too overly carbonated, but also, you know, good malt body.
3: Uh-huh. And
2: so our Terranek Terane- IPA that we do, um, as much as it's a you know, a really hoppy beer, um, it's got a fair bit of boost to balance it out to at about seven percent A B V, but also good solid, you know, good solid multi body yeah. to that too. So um, that might be a good one. You, you, yeah, that, you, you that would be walk, walk, walk that would be great. Just,
0: yeah, walk me through it. Any batch size percentages is fine. I can I'll convert it cool. all, and then after this interview concludes, I'll I'll read it off to the listeners. I'll convert it into you know twenty three liter sort of homebrew batch size, and okay. people can kind of take it from there.
3: Okay. Well, we, we
2: could do that. Probably just do it as, as percentages, and then you can scale it up and, and muck around with it. But great. Um, I suppose with 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 the you know the body of the beer being there being the big thing for us. Um, one would be probably start with the malt, um, mostly pale ale malt. So any any of the pale ale malts, we typically use um, um pale ale, but you know, there's others out there. We've used the Malt Europe ones coming along quite nicely. Um, but have a play with that. We're using about 85 to 87% pale ale malt.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because of the sort of you know, chewiness and the nuttiness of it, uh, Caramel malt is one we use with 7% caramel malt. Um, and then Munich, uh as well, stating the same theme, two percent Karimunik, and then. Do you know Radier, what the Lov- is Lovabon, are, Lovabon and, and is up. on
0: the Karimunik? Because I, I believe they there's a few different, um, you know, d- there's a uh, darker uh, one, or or is it just one in New Zealand? Yeah, it's a, light,
2: it's, no, it's a lot. it's a lot. It's a of one. Um, okay. So I think type. I think one, uh, okay. Karimunik one. And then um, I've said Gladfield Gladiator, 4%. And we just don't go past that. So we, we pretty much use it in, in most of our beers. We, we, we're trying to get a bit of you know, head propagation, head retention. There's the proteins are important. And we've tried a bunch of different ways of doing this. And we've used some of the, the Carapils and the Carihals, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't go past that Gladiator. Somewhere between you know 4 and 10%, depending on the beer. But this one, we're going 4%. Okay. So just to touch on that, we're talking 80%, 87% pale ale. Mm-hmm. um the Cara malt at seven so percent carry meaning at two and the gladiator at four should okay. have to add up to 100 maths masses vaguely right okay. um before moving off that so again staying with the salt multi thing the water uh, profiles are depending on on where you're brewing in the country and what your what your water profile is like so again remembering with this beer we're not aiming for a, a dry sort of acrid chalky beer um so have a look at your your, your water profile with that you're brewing but um, essentially, with these ipas in particular you 're kind of looking at the balance on your on your salts uh, between the calcium chloride and calcium carbonate
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, so calcium carbonate being your live on your gypsum side um, because we we want a bit more body and a bit more creaminess and, 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 and less chalkiness you, you want to have that, that, say, you know, balance that that favor um, you know, favor the the calcium chloride side a little bit more than the carbonate. Just so that it doesn't dry out on you, but okay. again, it depends on your base water, so it's fine. Um, and then, so starting gravity, uh, looking at a at a at a starting gravity there of about 10 or 1.064, or 1064, okay. um, to about 1066. There or thereabouts, we'll, you know, with a couple of points is, is, is always, always okay. Sure. And we want to try and finish that at about 10, 10 12 to ten, fourteen. 14. So once again, not skinny. Um, we don't want You definitely don't want to get anywhere near 10, 10 or below that. Okay. So we, we want to retain a bit of body. Um, you can play a little bit with mashing temperatures to achieve that as well. Um, but, yeah, as I say, I think you've got enough sort of malt character in, in those, in those, um, the, the Cara and the Cara Munich, and, and as I said, your water chemistry. But you don't need to, you know, don't need to muck around too much with mash temperatures.
3: What what um, do you mash at? And
2: then, um, sixty seven, sixty seven, sixty eight, uh, you know, somewhere. And again, it'll depend a little bit on the malt and which malts we're using. Okay. Um we, we, as I said, we we muck it around, and that's one thing that I'd encourage uh, homebrewers to ever go with as well. So I've said, you know, eighty seven percent pale ale malt. Um, you know try and use one one malt for that so go with whatever brand or whichever one it is and then you know for your own purpose if you if you if you you know want to test things rather than changing any other variables just change that base malt, right. um and and see what what result you get with so to use a environment one or user uh whatever one you want to use use a beard's one and then and then compare those beers with, and, and, and it's a really good exercise to do, just changing that one variable, I'm and sure. that'll give you an idea of, and, and you'll have an idea in your head, is like, oh, shit, you know, this one's far more, you know, nutty, or this one's far drier or whatever the case is, if you can try and keep all your variables the same, and then it gives you an indication, so when you see a recipe next time, you think, oh, hang on, I want it more on the nutty side, or well, not quite so much, and so you can use a combination of the two or three, um, and, and, and yeah, there's no harm in mixing up your base malts, Okay. Um, you know, there's 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 no, you know, you can adulterate them across, and, and we're starting to do that a little bit more now. So we're finding even um, with the the base malt, we're starting to use some of the uh, Gladfield American Ale malts, which seems to finish a little bit drier. Um, Supernovas another interesting one um, again, where you can, you know, get some of that nuttiness and stuff, but it'll 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 it'll, it'll typically um, brew out a little bit lower, lower, and, and you won't get the body. So you know, have a muck around with your base malts. Um, and, and then moving hops. on to the hops, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't subscribe to the IBUs. Um, you can use them. Um, we've had a few um, people come along, um, contract brewers, uh, most notably, you know, bring us a recipe and, and everything. Everything's worked out. They've they've targeted everything around IBUs, and they'll come with a recipe, and they'll look at it and it's like, holy crap, you know. And, what is this thing? You know, this is, this is going to be a rubbish beer, and they're like, "Why?" And we'll just look at the ratios. And, and um, I, I reckon, as a, as a starting point, um, you know, yes, you obviously want to look at the at the at the alpha content of the hops, and you know, look at the percentages there. But I'd never ever use IBU as a starting point for a recipe. Uh, I found a, a much rougher. Uh, measure is, is, is grams per litre and, and I always use the, the per litre of finished beer because if you're gonna if you're gonna dry hop it obviously you're gonna lose a lose a bit of beer a fair bit of beer in that process. Okay. So that that's what we look at though so, and our beers range from uh three grams per liter through to nearly thirty grams per liter. Sure.
3: Um
2: so there's a massive range there. Um but yeah this one the Teraniki IPA is certainly up there. Um, at about 18 grams per finished litre of beer. So you know, look at your whatever it is, you're going to end up with 18 or 20 litres, You know, extrapolate that back up to whatever it is, about 400 grams of hops. Um, about 35% of that is a dry hop, and there's no set, you know, set rule as to what that's got to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously looking at the hops, and we'll go through them now. So um, starting off, um, because it's always a, a good mainstay, buttering hop for us, Pacific Jade. So New Zealand Pacific Jade uh, makes up 20% of the hop bill. Uh-huh. Um, and we're going to be adding that. Um, so we boil everything for 90 minutes. That's another point as well. Okay. Um, just just to keep the process simple. So there's some beers that, you know, we, we could get away with a 60-minute boil. Uh, but then yeah you end up when you bring lots and lots of different beers you end up tripping yourself up and making mistakes um so for me standardization's you know a, a key part of it you know to keep things simple so okay. we boil everything for 90 minutes so at the 60 minute to boil mark we'll we'll put some Pacific Jade in there on its own um as a as a as a straight up bittering but there'll also be 15 minute 10 minute and 1 minute additions or flame out additions of the same hop okay. as well as some in the dry hop so we just sort of take that thirty five percent ratio across all the hops. Uh-huh. Um then moteweka is, is is the biggie in this one. So forty two percent of the of the hop build is Motoveka. Okay. Um and we we're adding the Motoveka at the uh thirty minute mark, uh 10, fifteen, ten, one and also of course in the dry hop. So that thirty minute addition is quite interesting. So this is again a recipe that's evolved over the years. The first time I brewed this beer was as Taraniki Pale. was Joe, um, Joe Wood, and I had, had a play with us, and we were you know trying to come up with something, and we brewed this I think in 2010, 2011, um, which was a vastly different beer to what what it is now. But you know over time you know things evolved and everything. And that 30 minute edition we actually didn't do that until. You know, not that long ago, uh, and just thought that the the beer was lock, lacking a little bit of hop flavour. um You know, where I tend to sort of anything between the the 40 and 20 minute mark is where you're getting you a lot of flavour from, you know, without so much aroma. um So find that one's quite important, and that's the only hop that we're going to add at 30 minutes, is that Montevita. Okay. um Then moving on to Nelson Um we've got that at 18% of the total hop bill, and we're only adding the Sauvin at the 15 minute mark the 10 minute mark, the one minute mark and, and of course the dry hop. Um, another one that was quite a late addition into the into the brew is uh, Wai'iti uh, which comes through um, at about 20% of the total um, hop pill. Um, Wai'iti, anyone that's used it knows that it's very, very, very low alpha um, but what this does if you're sort of aiming toward the American IPA, you know, West Coast IPA but again not too dry, um, Wai'iti compensates for the rest of our New Zealand hops, and gives you that resin, resinous, piney uh, kind of thing. Rubbery um, is, is what I pick it up as. Um, sort of smells, yeah, you know, real rubbery if you if, if, if you if you uh, smell it on its own. So Waiti um, again, just at the 15, 10, one, and uh, dry hop edition. So for um, so the Waiti Soven um, and the Pacific Jade, we're doing right the way through. Um, as well as the 60-minute the Jade and then the Motueko, of course, there's a 30-minute additional as well. But, yeah, have a play with it. And then dry hopping, uh, we typically um, are, are trying to steer away from, from filtering. So we have filtered the beer in the past. Um, this one, for whatever reason, we're not sure um, with the proteins, how it comes about, but it has proven to be quite a difficult one to filter. Um, so we've used Diatomation for de filtration. Um, but... Yeah, moving moving away from filtration if we can get the um the kettle nicely nicely if we can get really, really clear word. Um and then just takes a little bit longer um through the process, just try and get everything to clarify, get it nice and cold, drop your yeast out and um you know, hopefully you you, you keep it so that it's stable in the bottle.
0: Right. And well speaking of yeast, what kind of yeast are you using?
2: Oh, sorry, um, US uh O five, so Ceth right. ale. Um Seth yep. Ale US 05 Um yeah, not not a you know, hundred percent true ale yeast. There's a sort of most of these modern yeasts are sort of a blend of ale and lager yeast. Um i know. their 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 origin their original origins. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a, it's an ale yeast, but it's got I think a, a fair percentage of of some some typically original lager strains in there as well. Oh, so in, it, it, in it's the it's a, in the breakdown we,
0: or in the genes of the actual the genetics of the actual yeast. I gene.
2: think in the gen- genealogy in the genealogy of the of the of the strain, if you like, the way right. you know what they've developed. So that's the way I understand it. I'm not I'm not you know that flash on the um, on the on the history of that. But sure. as, as I understand it, they're not they're not pure ale yeast.
3: Okay, um interesting.
2: but yeah, we've we found it to be a really, really versatile yeast. Having said that, um one of the other well, I won't say contentious, but one of the you know commonly accepted um things is we spoke about brewing New Zealand um Pilsner before and um yeah, a lot of brewers are using the the, the, the ale yeast, um the same ale yeast that we're talking about. Um and, and they'll either do it a, a cold fermented uh cold fermented ale ferment, uh spoken to others recently, it's, ah, oh, bugger that, the hotter the better, they, you know, they brew their, their pilsner at, at 22 degrees with with, uh, uh, with an ale yeast. Uh, and that's, you know, falling into the realms of typical New Zealand um, style pilsner, whereas we we still stick with a lager yeast. Sure. On ours, our lager and our pilsner, we've got two two beers, and just recently we, we're working on a Baltic porter um, where we are using a lager yeast. We do ferment them really cold. Um, we found the difference between fermenting them between Thirteen degrees and eleven degrees is is massive um so yeah, fermenting at eleven degrees of the large takes a takes a long time um but yeah you know we think it, it makes a a distinct difference in 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 the characteristic of the beer, so it's worth mucking around with
0: and so, I'm sorry, I was writing a few things down there just taking notes while you're talking, and I missed the temperature uh yep. what what are you fermenting at
2: um, so the, this, this uh, IPA that we're talking about um our normal our normal process would be to um, try and get it going around the seventeen degree mark.
3: Seventeen.
2: Um, and uh, yeah, allow it to warm up over the over the initial the initial ramp up phase. So don't start it too warm. Allow it to ramp up over the first day, day and a half to around the around the eighteen mark. Mm. And it's only once you get to about day four, um, when the, the bulk of your initial primary fermentation is done that we'll allow it to warm up over twenty. Over 20. Um yeah. and then yeah we'll uh, just let it go after that um, our brewery again we've, we've got the ability as, as probably the home brewers will too um, that at the end if, if the weather's too cold we'll actually warm it um, to to make sure that it's getting its its rest at the end um, We'll typically try hop it around that um, at the, around that secondary fermentation point so um, at the point where the primary fermentation is complete we've arrived at our, our sort of 10 12 10, 14 gravity um, then we'll we'll dry hop. Um, close the fermenter back up again. So I under pressure now. Mm-hmm. Um, allowed to pressurise and you know, we we do that on a small scale, we just do it with a kid. Um, we're allowed to, and then that stage allowed to to warm up. If there's no um, metabolic heat being generated, then actually don't you know don't be scared to heat it. We just on our big fermenters, we we'll just have a, you know, a couple of little fan heaters underneath them and it to get them over twenty, um, preferably you know as high as twenty two, um, for a few days. And then just let them slowly come back down from that to around the twenty mark, um, just to get the the diacetyl rest. Make sure that's all happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, we leave the dry hops in there at those temperatures uh, normally for around four days. Four days. Um, and then we'll try and crash cool it in the um, in the fermenter. It's still in the uni fermenter. We'll cool it down, and then we we haven't got the luxury of um, cooling that down sub zero. So we actually transfer it from there to a, a cold conditioning tank. So and again, our process is quite different. We've got eight fermenters, but then we've got 16 cold conditioning tanks, which we can run sub-zero, mm-hmm. and then we've got another 10 bright beer tanks. So, unlike a lot of the uh, the newer brewers that are that are that are brewing and doing everything in uni fermenters, um, you know they might only have um, six you know six fermenters mm-hmm. or six tanks, or might have 10, but they're all you know, they're they they're in short supply if you like, and that's why they, they tend to brew a lot quicker than we do. Sure. Um where we've got we've got the luxury of having again just through that evolution, um, we've we've always got you know, ten different beers and bite beer tanks uh and we're bottling them out and kegging them out at different rates. Very cool. um, but the, 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 the big difference is the conditioning. So we've got, we got 16 full size conditioning tanks, which is a big plus.
0: Right. And is there any kind of a long or extended um, whirlpool time that a home brewers should take into consideration? Because obviously we can chill our, our beer much quicker than than you
2: pros much quicker. can. Um, yeah, uh, not necessarily. So we, we've actually only just recently started um, making some extra hop additions during the whirlpool um, and some of these hoppy beers as opposed to just doing it climb out in that one minute to boil, mm-hmm. um, but mm, no, not necessarily. Uh, a bit quicker, you can the quicker you can cool it, the better. Right. Uh, we on our transfer transfers on the aisles uh, we'll be able to do the transfer in about twenty minutes okay. uh, down to temperature, which hmm. is kind of what you're aiming for. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, a, that's, a, that
0: actually lines up. Some yeah. some of these guys, you know, take some, a, you know, good couple of hours sometimes to get uh, to get the beer y- done. Yes,
2: the, our old system old system used to be like that. Yeah, we just, you know, heat exchangers too small, not enough cold water, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, is, it is a bit of a nuisance. Right. Uh, we take a little bit longer with the lagers, with the lagers um, but yeah, all we can do generally doing about 20 minutes for a two and a half thousand liter batch. <laughs>
0: well very cool i think that about um does it for us i really appreciate you being on on this podcast uh it's episode number two so you know you're you're one of the first and uh i i could think of no one better than than uh you from mike's one of uh well as you said the oldest craft uh brewery still operating in New Zealand so it's very cool and I appreciate your time and uh, especially your willingness to share a recipe I think a lot of people are going to uh, dig this and hopefully we'll get a few listeners to brew one up and send it in and we can uh, drink it on the air and
2: yeah I'd love love to be able to taste
0: them well I'll (laughs) see there'll
2: be a huge (laughs) buzz
0: there's an invitation for anybody uh, uh, listening to go and brew one up and uh, contact Ron Trigg down at uh, Mike's Beer Co He wants to try it. So and so do and so do I for yeah, that matter. By,
2: by all means, I'd love to taste some side to side.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks very much. Uh, we'll be drinking a few of your beers uh, outside of this interview uh, as as me and Gary, my co host, uh, chat about it. And uh, again, yeah, uh, be on the lookout uh, for for more from Mike's Beer. Thanks very much, Ron. All good. Cheers, Tom. Cheers. Kainui Bruco is a fast-growing farmhouse brewery located
1: at Kirikiri in the far north, offering a wide range of beer styles from our highly sessionable Woodamoo Wallace Scottish Ale to our unfiltered East Coast Double IPA, bursting with juicy tropical fruit flavours. Or if you prefer the complexities of farmhouse ales and mixed ferments, then try our Summer Love Saison, a refreshing Belgian Saison that is brimming with notes of black pepper and ripe pineapple. Just one of the many enticing beers in our farmhouse and sour funk series. To find out more about our tasting room, trading hours, or our growing lineup of beers, go to kinuibruco.co.intid. That's kainuibruco.co.nz. Kia ora!
0: Uh, again, myself, John Ojaka and Gary Henwood are here with you uh, to usher you into the uh, well, the final segment of this show. Again, a big thanks to Ron Trigg from Mike's Burry, or, you know, Mike Trigg from Ron'sbury. I think I think both are OK. <laughs> both are acceptable. Um, if you enjoyed that interview, which I, I know I did. Uh, and and it, he- heck, if you're enjoying this podcast, then do us a solid head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is uh, that you listen to podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. And I'll leave us a a rating and a review. Those ratings and reviews, they, they really help. Uh, they, they help with social proof. They help, uh, with the, the, uh, well, to, to a certain extent, the algorithm over there. And, uh, well, they, uh, more listeners means more podcast episodes. And so if you like this, then again, do us a favor and head on over to iTunes and leave that review. All right, so um, Gary, we've got a bit of a problem here with the format of the show. I think. Why is that, bro? Uh, Because you know, with these (laughs) hour-long pre-recorded interviews, that gives me about an hour to sit here drinking, uh, (laughs) and I'm supposed to come back and be coherent. uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. which is uh, gonna be yeah, well, brilliant. so, so I'm I'm gonna I think safely assume that your ale is well gone as mine is. What are Ooh, you working yeah. on now? I, I had nothing else to drink until this next one. I was just like, wow, what am I
1: doing? Like <laughs> I was dry there for too long. But that was a, that was an awesome interview. Um, well done to both of you. I thought it was it was a good person to start with. Like it's you know the the history there is very very interesting. Was, uh, I was I know where I'll be visiting when I when I next visit Taranaki. That's the first first place I'll go.
0: Yeah, he uh, again. You know, this was my first time really talking to Ron, and a really nice guy. And they do some really cool things as a brewery. he Was telling me about some of the events that they have uh, that are very sort of pro home brewers. I'm sure I'll get some of the details wrong, but they have some event where they invite home brewers to come down to the brewery and brew and uh, get a a pitch from there. Uh, you know, from their yeast and uh, do some really cool things, or, or so it sound. It would seem. Uh, again, mm, I haven't had right. a chance to get down there, but maybe you know if we can get enough time away when we do the the road trip down to Birvana this year we'll have to mm. see if we can't swing swing by.
1: For sure. Um
0: and what a good guy sharing
1: one of his recipes. That's it's fantastic. It's um you know, from one of the veterans in the industry it's 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 a high bar, so hopefully we uh that'll <laughs> that'll uh,
0: force the hand of some other um mother breweries around the country. It's
1: awesome.
3: Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, that's going to be the goal. Uh, each, I, I think, anyway, you know, again, episode number two. So who, who knows where this is going? But uh, mm. the 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 plan that Gary and I have discussed is that each week we are well, – I shouldn't say each week because I think we're going to be doing this biweekly. I think – I don't know. We're still working that out as well. But each episode, we're going to share a recipe with you. That will either be one of mine. Again, I'm a very active home brewer. I've won uh, a, a, good, a good deal of awards. I'll share either an award-winning recipe with you – Gary will share one of his uh, recipes from Kainui Bruco, or uh, better yet, we'll get a recipe from whoever it is that we're interviewing. So, uh, in time, we should have a pretty cool collection of recipes from New Zealand breweries, so that mm. you here in New Zealand can go out and uh, take a stab at cloning some of these recipes. Again, as I said in the interview, this is. This is something that a lot of people around the rest of the world, particularly in the U.S., are doing. You know, we we hear from a lot of these breweries. There are a lot of other podcasts out there focusing on the U.S. market and uh, sharing those recipes. But we don't really have too many opportunities to get a recipe from a a, a pro brewery, go brew that beer, and then go pick up the beer and and sample them. There are very few out there. A a couple of examples, but very few. So uh, hopefully we can can offer that uh, as a podcast. Uh, I am about to embark on something I'm kind of excited about. So, so again, as I mentioned, Ron uh, sent up a number of beers, and I am drinking. I've got three glasses in front of me. So the first is this Boys and Girls. It's a Boysenberry hoppy strong wheat beer. It's an eight percent wheat beer, which you know explains why I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of halfway there. Um, but uh, so so that's kind of unusual. You know, your average wheat beer is what you know four and a half five percent. It's kind of that that summer lawnmower beer, uh, but here this is 8%. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, you, you know, maybe you ever have some of those uh, strong Pilsners, those like 8% Pilsners. It's kind of got that feeling to it and that it's not this overly hoppy uh, beer and it's it's not a particularly Belgian beer, although there's, there's a little bit of uniqueness going on there, which to be honest, I can't tell if it's coming from... If it's a subtle sort of ester phenolic thing coming from the yeast, or if it's uh, earthiness coming from perhaps poisonberry seeds or or tannins in some way, um, but it 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 it's similar in that way that it's this kind. It's almost like uh, this is gonna. It's it's like a lighter triple if that makes uh, any sense. It's kind of. Or like a strong lager. It's just, yeah, 8% mm. wheat beer, but it's, it's unique and it's fruity and I, I, I like it. Um, but I've, I've also got their Surf Spot, uh, Blackberry Black IPA, which is uh, a pretty solid black IPA. But what Ron had told me outside of the interview is that if you mix the two together, uh, they're supposed to be pretty special. So uh, a lot of pressure, but let, let's see. I've done that. I poured the two in one glass. Let's see what we get
1: that's that's yeah that's a good little experiment it's
0: a good way to sell tbs too (laughs) yeah you know Um, if i'm being totally honest it it tastes great but i think the black ipa uh that i poured in here is just it's it's overwhelming the blend and and really it's just tasting like a slightly lighter version of the black ipa so i think Mm. I, i think i got the blend wrong perhaps i'll do it again in a second here and just
1: i like this i like the sound of the first one you're talking about it sounds you know it sounds good
0: yeah it's definitely unique i can't think of another beer that i've had like it recently so um very mm. cool stuff and i love the new branding so uh, you, you, yeah. you can see me here but i'm staring at the label and reading everything on it but uh yeah uh, i've got to say i'm a fan of the new the new look which is it's good they, they put a bit of work
1: in there so good on them um you know yeah. he, said he, he said he uh like you know humble man and and hasn't really pushed um i guess the marketing and stuff like that or the push the brand as much as. much they otherwise could have, but you know, this this is a good a good start for them. So, and and listen to that interview; I think that'll do them well. Like I'm certainly interested, more interested in you know, I hadn't known as much about their story, as I did as I as I now do. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's a cool story, and um, yeah, much more interested to try more of their
0: beers now. It is amazing. You know, we we tried the mild earlier in the show obviously um but that that's what kicked off the brewery i mean i think that's Mm, fantastic mm. and and very cool and i again i I, it made sense what he was talking about how they uh the original owner was getting a lot of pressure from for some uh, was it british friends i think um yeah yeah or uh, british locals (laughs) yeah absolutely but it just i don't think you i don't think you'll hear that story too often where a brewery gets going particularly or especially outside of the uk Based on the strength of their dark mild, that's pretty unique mm. and, and pretty cool. And he's a brewer after my own heart. In that uh, I, I'm also even though I know you know these dry beers are all the rage right now and everybody likes a dry beer, I'm not a fan of this overly dry, chalky beer that you know mm. Ron kind of mentioned. I like a little body. I like, and I don't mean sweet in any kind of cloying sense, but I, I like on the scale of things, a slightly sweeter beer, a beer with some body to it, and um, I noticed that, you know, I do, as a beer writer for The Shout and Hospitality Business Magazine, I get sent samples fairly often, and it's always the hoppy beers, the the IPAs, the American Pale Ales, and sometimes the Pilsners, and I'm always sitting there, guys, send me some Damn dark beers <laughs> or <There were> some <laughs> sours, and that's what they did. I don't think there was. Oh no, I take it back. There were there were a couple APAs in the in the collection, but this really cool collection of uh, dark beers, which you know, I think they have a proclivity towards, uh, and it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah,
0: that's true. Speaking of which, well, uh, I, I I know what you happen to have on hand. Have you popped it yet? What are you drinking? I
1: have uh, choc- mugs chocolate milk stout. He mentioned it in the interview. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lower uh, five five and a half percent alcohol. I haven't had a lot of chocolate milk stouts. I had the um the one at Beervana, What was it, Behemoth? It was, but it was a bigger beer that one. So it's hard to You can't really compare them. It's it's a nice beer.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm, oh, sorry. Go on.
1: You haven't got one there, have you? you, you uh,
0: I don't. I don't. I've got I've got three beers in front of me. I couldn't I couldn't add a fourth. be obscene. Yeah, chocolatey, a little bit of coffee.
1: It's it's what you'd expect it to be. It's it's a nice beer. It's well balanced. Um, yeah, again, um, I, when I'm when I'm drinking a stout, like to, for for my preference, I just like a little bit more alcohol. Um, I I probably would well. I don't know. It's hard to say. I'd probably either go for a session stout, like a you know a lower percentage, or or just a, at least a sort of a six six and a half seven percent. But this is, I mean, it's a it's a nice beer. It is what it is.
0: Um, so yeah. Sorry, you caught me mid sip there. Awesome. Oh. Yeah. No, I've I've had it. Be- <laughs> <laughs> I've had it before. I think it's a great beer. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. And I I'm a fan of milk stout. Like I said, I like a, 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 a I'm not afraid of yeah. a slightly sweeter beer. And uh, it's, on the- it's
1: yeah, it's got a there's no cloyingness to it there's I mean there's a little bit of body there it's got a it's got a, like just a hint of perceived sweetness at the end there which is good it's, it's sort of malt sweetness rather than actual just um, residual sweetness or anything like that but it's yeah it's it's good
0: what I like is <clears throat> I think I feel like they've got the balance down in the sense that you know he's talked about liking a beer with more body and he's brewing mm. these darker styles that Not- I think when someone errors with these styles, with a mild or a stout or especially a milk stout, it's going to be Mm. making a beer that is too sweet, that you have a little bit of it and you're just kind of over it. Mm. Uh, You go, oh, that was nice, but the taster was fine. And I think they're doing a good job. Like you mentioned feeling that the mild was was dry and i you know as it warmed up and as i sat there with it while we were listening to the interview um that obviously was pre-recorded um i I didn't think it was dry i thought it even it did have some malt sweetness but you're right there was something about the finish that was kind of dry Mm -hmm. and 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 i think and that's what you're sort of describing with that milk stout for a style that can be kind of dessert like and sometimes Mm -hmm. they're just almost syrupy and you kind of want to pour them out um after a few sips um i think that's kind of cool i think they're getting it right i think again sounds like they're relying a little more on the calcium chloride to get us there than high mash temperatures or you know um unnecessarily low hopping rates hmm yeah i mean they've
1: certainly got a um
0: yeah, you know, they've done it
1: right, and and uh, I think you mentioned the the low carbonation, which is yeah, you know, which is obviously nice and in a dark beer. It's it, you certainly don't want too much fizz. Um, but there's you know there's some good heat retention there. It's it's sticking around just so like a you know you need, you got to have something on the top there to to keep it looking like a beer. Um, right. Yeah, I'm impressed.
0: Uh, another thing that I, I like that he said it, he was talking about the fact that you know they don't have all the shiny new Chinese stainless they've got uh, <laughs> converted dairy tanks and whatnot um and you know and I've only been in New Zealand seven years. And when I first got into beer, I get, I've got to actually figure out when that was four or five years ago, something like that. And I started brewing. And I I mentioned this in the last episode, but as soon, you know, somewhere around batch number two, I started thinking about starting a brewery and I started looking into gear and and visiting different breweries and seeing what everybody else was doing. And those that were actually brewing as opposed to contract brewing, you know, it was more common than not, I think, at least to the breweries that I went to that they had converted dairy tanks and you know now the industry has boomed so quickly that that's not really the case so it's it's kind of cool that um you know they're they're still this uh you know they're still doing it old school and they've got all that gear because I, I think New Zealand being a rural country there's there's something kind of quaint and, and cool about that but I like what he said about um, uh, because perhaps because of that uh, gear you can you know there's a flavor I can't remember exactly how he worded it but there's a, <laughs> a flavor that you can taste throughout the beer and I, I know it was joking to an extent but it reminds me of a book I read about Hershey's chocolate where they used to uh, they When they, again, this, I guess, isn't probably so popular here in New Zealand, but certainly everybody would be aware of the brand. You know, this massive, massive chocolate company and however many decades ago it was, or was it a century? I don't know when Hershey's was first founded way back when. Um, there was the process of creating milk chocolate was actually quite difficult. Cadbury had cracked it and no one else in the world knew how to do it. I hope I'm remembering the facts correctly, but uh, that, that's my recollection is Cadbury had worked it out, but kept the process of milk chocolate super secret. Everybody was making, you know, more uh, dark chocolate with varying degrees of, of sweetness. But this milk chocolate was all the rage and, you know, it's a Swiss milk chocolate that everybody wanted to make and everyone in America was trying to figure out how to do it. And Hershey's chocolate, which already existed, was working on trying to crack it, and they they finally figured it out. But there's somewhere in their process was a bit of a flaw, and you know I don't know if it was a little bit of a, a burnt taste or whatever it was. There was just a tiny little flaw, and they stuck with that process. And to this to this day, you can still taste that little flaw in the chocolate. And they. Um, tried to express that in weird, weird, but I I suppose flattering ways at the time in their ad copy. And you'll see these old, very, very old Hershey's ads out there like, you can taste the cow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What they're talking about is that weird little flaw that is still there in their process and their recipe today. So anyway, a bit of a, a long-winded segue, uh, or well, not a segue, but tangent. Um, but it reminded me of that, and I think there is something cool. And I think, as someone who's had quite a few of their beers, I, I don't know if I can necessarily taste taste the cow, <laughs> taste the cow in their beers, but I do think they have a style um, and an approach to making beer that is represented in everything that I've had had of theirs. I don't know. Yeah. So
1: you. so do they have a like an on license down there?
0: Well, yeah, that, that's, what we kind of, I kind of asked that question and we, we had so much to talk about. He focused more on the production brewery side of it, but it mm. does, does sound like they do. I know they've done an Oktoberfest down there for the last 10 years or so. I, th- I think they just uh, Vince, stopped doing yeah. it. Um, and he mentioned people coming in and tasting things and building that email yeah. list, uh, for the Porter. So I believe they do. I think it's just that because they're in a rural area, it's not a major part of their business. I, I think that's correct. Maybe, but,
1: maybe it's just an off license and they have events. And so it sounds yeah. more like, but, I mean, I'm keen yeah, to go down there. I want to try the, um, the hoppy beers on site. I don't trust the
0: bottles <laughs> <laughs> yeah they've got something because he talks about people coming into the brewery and tasting beer yeah, yeah. so at the very least yeah. you can go in for tastings but i get the impression you can go down for a pint or, or, or two Sounds but good. i may be wrong um well so uh, as mentioned uh well as uh you, as you heard ron gave us the recipe uh to his Taranaki taranaki ipa um but it was in percentages and you know pro brewer speak and so i've gone and converted it uh, using my little weird software app i have beersmith but i don't use it i use a little uh, piece of software that i'm just more comfortable with because it's a little more idiot proof called uh what is it called actually brewpal um you can't necessarily vouch for it because I'm sure it's gonna crash on me one day soon. I'm gonna lose all of my recipes, but it's very simple, and I've been using it all these years, and so I I stick with it. Nowhere near as good, to be honest, as as BeerSmith, uh, but it gets me there. So I've I've plugged everything in and converted it into homebrew batch size and specific measurements and weights and degrees. Uh, so I'm gonna read that back to everyone. I've also converted it into an extract recipe, but Gary, you need to listen to me do this and make sure that i i don't leave some yeah well <laughs> Like I'll forget something like yeast or hops or, you know, some crucial ingredient. It was, yeah. there's a lot of pressure here. I never, I never thought this through before doing this. Like the second I start plugging it in, I'm like, well, wait, I have 87.2%. He said 87. <laughs> Is that going to throw it all off? And, you know, well, he didn't me- mention efficiency. So what, what am I going to screw everybody up with my efficiency? So, no. you know, Go
1: with 70%. Yeah. That, that that, nice.
0: That's what I've got. I've got 70 per, uh, 70% plugged in as my efficiency. And we're going to keep to a standard here on the show uh, unless you hear otherwise. But all recipes will be broken down to, uh, to 23 liters. The idea there is that uh, you're going to probably lose a couple of liters uh, in uh, of, of uh, Troub in your kettle. And you're going to lose another couple of liters of Troub in your fermenter. And you'll hopefully finish with uh, somewhere close to about 19 liters of, of finished beer. So the batch size we're always going to be working with is 23 liters. Uh, I use Rager as the hot formula and, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, the 70% efficiency. So, for, uh, here's the recipe as, as I saw it. Um, uh So we want to start with, and this is for all grain brewers. Again, we'll get to uh, extract in a second. We want to start with 6.4 kilograms of uh, pale malt or two row. Uh, uh, again, he mentioned using um, Gladfield pale ale malt and uh, also mentioned uh, using malt Europe as an alternative. Uh, I think they use both. And then we have 510 grams of caramalt. And then we've got 300 grams of Gladiator malt. And that's also a Gladfield uh, malt. Uh, I, th- I believe, I haven't used it, I believe it's fairly similar to Carapils. Uh, then we've got 140 grams of Caramunic 1. And I believe that is um, going to be, if he's saying Caramunic 1, that's going to be... Yeah, 30 loves it? Uh, no, the maltster is... Um, oh, uh, sorry, Uh
1: Wyoming. Yeah. yeah.
0: So then we get to oh, and then we're gonna mash at uh, sixty-seven degrees Celsius. That, for anyone listening in the states, is one hundred and fifty-two degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and then let's see, we've got uh, hops, and this that was this was a unique way of looking at hops. I don't know if you mm. ca- caught all that, but I'm so used to specific alpha acids and. Um, specific numbers, but it was this... I'm not used to the... Yeah, the the percentages. Um, Usually, when somebody gives me percentages for a grist, they're going to give me IBUs for the hops, and he gave me percentages for the hops, so that took a little bit of figuring out. Um, Mm. But I have, at at 60 minutes... So, again, he mentioned a 90-minute boil, so if you're using uh, any kind of software, you want to adjust for that and... uh, let's see, how can I help you adjust for that? You just, yeah, you're going to, you're going to figure off your boil off, figure out your boil off rate, and then just add a a bit of additional water, uh, to account for that extra 30 minutes of boil off as most of us boil for about 60 minutes at the 60 minute mark. So after you've been boiling for 30 minutes, you want to add 13 grams of Pacific Jade. Didn't give me a specific alpha acid, but again, you're all here in New Zealand and it's likely to be the same damn stuff. Um, at the 30-minute mark, you're going to add 26 grams of matueka. Uh, and then at the 15-minute mark, you're going to add another 26 grams of matueka. And then at uh, the 15-minute mark, you're going to add 15... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, didn't, sorry. Didn't he
1: say that Mott was only at 30 minutes?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, the, on- sorry, no, the, let me kind of take out the eraser there and just kind of clear the slate there. No, what he said was, uh, Machuaca was the only addition at 30 minutes, not that it was the only uh, addition right. of Machu yeah yeah,
1: so, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: So, again, I don't know what I've said and what I haven't, but 13 grams of yeah. Pacific jaded at 60 minutes, 26 grams of machuca at 30 minutes, 26 grams of machueca again at 15 minutes, and then 15 grams of Nelson Sav at 15 minutes, 13 grams of Pacific Jade at 15 minutes, 17 grams of Waiti at 15 minutes. And then you're going to see these same ratios for a bit here. Uh, 26 grams of Machueca at 10 minutes, 15 grams of Nelson Sov at 10 minutes, 13 grams of Pacific Jade at 10 minutes, and 17 grams of Waiiti at 10 minutes. And then another dose of 26 grams of machueca at one minute, 15 grams of Nelson Sov at one minute, 13 grams of Pacific Jade at one minute, and 17 grams of Waiiti at one minute. Then we've got the dry hop. Uh, and and this is 34 grams of machueca for, I believe he said four days, did he not?
3: I think, I hope.
1: Uh, I think it's... Uh see?
3: Yeah, I think maybe he did that. So that. Wow. So. Um, so oh, Wait, I've got. what? Sorry. Off the, <laughs> of? Oh let me read off. Let
0: me. We'll get to that. Let me read off all the dry hops and then we'll talk about some of the stats. But uh, again, so uh, just to repeat, thirty-four grams of machuca. Uh, for about four days, I hope. <laughs> uh, 34 grams of Nelson Salve for about four days. 34 grams of Pacific Jade for about four days. And then 34 grams of Waititi for uh, about four days. So that's your dry hop. And again, that amounts to about 18 grams of hops per liter. It was a little... Total. A, uh, yeah, to- total. It was a little... I was a little unclear on how to break that down because he specifically Mm. mentioned, at least in the email that he sent me, uh, about all this, uh, 18 grams per liter of finished beer. But, you know, finished Mm. beer to him might be a little different than finished beer to us. So I kind of split the difference and called it 21 and a half liters of finished beer. And that'll get us, you know, pretty close. Um, The IBUs uh, work out, according to my calculations there, uh, at uh, to about 78 uh, IBUs again, that's using the Rager formula. Um, then, uh, let's see, what are we missing? We got uh, fermentation temp. So you want to ferment this sucker at 62.6. Oh, sorry. That's Fahrenheit at 17 degrees Celsius, which would be 62.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and he recommends you start there at 17 degrees and just leave it there for, I think he said, uh, about two days and then start ramping it up until you hit about 20 uh, degrees, which I don't know what that is in and Fahrenheit, to be honest. But um, again, this is to perform a diacetyl rest. And I, I do that as well. I know you do as well, Gary. I stop at about 22 degrees. So my formula, which has worked really well for me, I, I really unless something goes horribly wrong, I really do not have a diacetyl problem. And I'll start at whatever I'm starting at, I'll leave it at that uh, temperature for about two days. And then I start ramping up by about half a degree a day until I hit uh, 22. If I notice that that fermentation is completed early, and I'm and I'm still got a few degrees to go, then I might, I might up that from half a degree a day to about a degree a day because i want to hit those uh higher temperatures while the yeast is still swimming around in there uh, but the fermentation is is completed so um what else do we, oh, oh, water, you know, probably should have started with that, but he did specifically mm. talk about calcium chloride in his, in his water. So again, it's a little bit tricky here because everyone is working with different water. I know a lot of people are working with rainwater in New Zealand, which is pretty close to uh, RO water, meaning that there's usually very little in it. Um, he didn't mention specific, amounts of uh Mm. uh of salts so my advice and you can weigh in on this because you know more about water chemistry than i do gary but my advice would be to keep it simple you know better to add too little than too much uh i usually go with about a teaspoon total of salt so because he said keep the balance to calcium chloride i'd say go about three quarters of a teaspoon calcium chloride and about a quarter of a teaspoon of gypsum Um, and I think that'll make you a fine beer. Um, and did we, did I, did I do the starting gravity? I don't think I did. You're looking for a beer that's. he mentioned 1064, but plugging this in, uh, to my software here or my app here, um, in order to hit that 7% mm. mark i had to go a yeah, bit true. higher yeah i so i got to 1067 as a starting mm. gravity and 1013 as a finishing gravity he mentioned sounds you know a range of 10 1012 to 1014 and that hit the the 7% mark dead on with a a love of, bond of about 7.3 uh love and uh you know sounds like a nice uh, a nice kind of well different IPA than, than where some of the kind of current trendy IPAs are that are finishing really dry, uh, and are not quite so malty. I think he's got, you know, some interesting maltiness here. Um, sound, sounds, sounds kind of nice. What do you, what do you think? Well, any thoughts on that breakdown? Yeah. Uh,
1: I think he may, uh, I would push the, the, the IBUs down I uh, I mean it's hard to know when he's, you know, giving us percentages. But I, I think that IBU sounded a little bit high to me. I would probably Yeah. Um, but I know I mean I can picture the but I can sort of taste the beer a little bit in my in my mind. If it was me brewing it, I would push more of those hops towards the end, towards the one minute rather you know, rather than having sort of equal ratios throughout. Um, I would bring that that IBU's down to sixty to sixty five maybe. Um, but yeah, I guess play around, you know, just just have a go. Just uh, uh, what my advice if you're brewing this recipe, take those ratios that he's got, those percentages he's got, and and sort of put them into your own process, like how you like your beer or whatever, and then or or even go out and buy the beer, taste it, and see what you think, see how many IBUs you think it has, because I'm I'm not too sure. I'm sort of I haven't had it. Um, I might have had it in the past, but not recently. So yeah, that that does sound quite high though, 78 for for the for the style of beer he was talking about. Um that's that part. Um, what did
0: you think about the, uh, the water advice there in terms of how much, uh,
1: I think he got, yeah, I think he just got, uh, he, was, he mentioned calcium carbonate as gypsum. or oh, that's what I heard anyway. So yeah, maybe I just heard it wrong, but I think, yeah, he was, he was talking about calcium sulfate when he was talking about gypsum and, and the sulfate to chloride ratio and, and going more towards the chloride, um, being heavier than the sulfate ratio uh, in the ratio, um, which you know normally tends towards the malt. If you listen to John Palmer talk about it, um, uh, go to the Water Ganser if you want some more information. But um, the he is, it, it's the trend in the in the states down the east coast. You know to, to go for more chloride in your in your beer. Just a it's a mouthfeel thing really, um, and less harsh bitterness. Like you're not, and that's another reason why I think he he wouldn't have put that seventy eight IBUs in there. I think he's going for more of a you know, he's going for a mouthfeel thing, going for a bit of residual body, and the chloride there is there to, to, just to help that
0: it also could be that you know again i went with the default uh, ibu settings mm. for pacific uh jade i did oh, mm. it, was, it was jade not gem right yep yeah, I, I think it was jade yeah. yeah um and it you know it could be that whatever's being sold right now in new zealand is is very different than what's in my uh, yeah software. yeah that's
1: true actually yeah i think it's um, quite high
0: do you know what do you know what the going sort of ibu level is for heck, Jane, jade i haven't
1: used that for a while maybe 13 percent or something like yeah, that i, I used to,
0: yeah. no that's exactly what it was actually i think yeah. I want to say but uh, you
1: know yeah, they just Change it. They change
0: a bit. It was thirteen percent alpha acid. Mm. So,
1: um I don't know. I'll mention something. I love Waiti personally. He said mentioned rubbery, which <laughs> is not how I see it. I, I really like Waiti. It's a high. It's got high oil content, and um he sort of you know said that you, you get a bit of resinous, and it does help um, balance out some of the some of the kiwi hops. Because you, you know when you're trying to add eighteen grams per liter of, of New Zealand hops, it it can get a little bit catty. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, very interested to try this beer now. So I, I sort of want to go to the brewery and try it. Um, but why, I, I do love Waiiti, and I think Waiiti blended with Nelson Solvent is a great combination. So um, it looks like a cool recipe. Um, yeah, it's, and I'm so stoked that he, that he shared it. It's awesome.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I thought so as well. And along those lines, if you want to give this a try, you, I, I would absolutely love to hear from you. And for that matter, you are absolutely invited to send us uh, a bottle. Well, you have to send two so Gary can have one as well because we, again, we're recording in different locations. You send that in. Uh, we'll go and get the uh, an actual bottle of, of Mike's version of it. And we'll, we'll drink them together on the air and I uh, would, would love to have that experience. So again, if you're a listener and you want to take a crack at a, a clone recipe of Mike's Taranaki IPA. Then uh, get in touch with us and uh, s- s- send us a bottle or two, and um, we'll we'll drink it on the air.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> that sounds good. That would be a blast. Um, so speaking of which, if you want to contact us, if you have any questions whatsoever uh, that you'd like us to address on the show, uh, or feedback, or you know anything at all that that you'd like to share with us, then you you have a couple of options. Just go to newzealandbrewer.co.nz. Again, that's New Zealand Brewer newzealandbrewer.co.nz and you'll find a contact tab there. Uh, you can send a message that way or just shoot me an email at john at new Zealand brewer.co.nz. Um, and again, yeah, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Very new podcast. We want to give you more of the episodes uh, that you want to hear. You know, obviously, <laughs> this one's run on for a while. We're, we're over the hour and a half mark here. I'm not sure exactly where we are. Uh, but uh, do you like a shorter format, a longer format? Do you like these interviews? Is there someone you want to hear from? Uh, should Gary shut up more? Um.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Um, actually, just thinking about what I said about as as IBUs, it will differ from, from pro to, to homebrew as well. So, I mean, even if it given us the actual IBUs, it's going to be different. Right. You know, there's more hydrostatic pressure involved when, when you know, when there's brewing, you get more extraction. So, yeah, I mean, just have a crack. It didn't, by the
0: beer. it didn't sound too high to me looking at just knowing my 78 my well, my app and the way the right. calculations right. I've seen in the yeah. past only it's because, true. and this won't make any sense to anyone else, but that IPA that uh, I brewed that y- you know, you've drinking Gary yeah. that uh, we've talked about quite a lot. I think the calculations on that were around 60, 65 IBUs and yeah. it did not taste, you know, it was almost. Yeah, we yeah lacking. we need to try the beer okay. so so uh I don't know that that didn't sound crazy yeah. to me but i i I'd, I'd say give it a my my personal advice which might be a little different would be to give it a crack taking you know use it, use his actual recipe um mm. uh, and and see where you get uh, yeah but, but certainly uh uh Gary does bring up a good point if you go buy the beer and drink it then uh You'll get a good yeah. sense of the bitterness, and uh, you know what it might take to get there. A couple of things that I'm suddenly realizing we haven't talked about that are pretty crucial is the yeast. We didn't mention that. Uh, I know we oh, did USO in the five, interview, but that's yeah. USO five. And then I, I mentioned that I put together an extract uh, version of this recipe because I know <laughs> there are going to be a lot of people that are not all grain brewers. So um, when it comes to extract, you know, again, Gary and I are all grain brewers. I'm kind of increasingly lazy, and I like a really fast brew day with as little to clean as possible. So I started all grain. I did not grow, uh, did not grew, did not brew an extract recipe until very recently. Um, but I've started doing a little bit with DME uh, when I just kind of want something quick, and I want an hour and a half long brew day instead of a six-hour brew day, and. God damn it! If they're they're not coming out pretty damn good, uh, where and again it depends how you use it. But recipes or or beers that I don't know that many people would be able to tell. For me, the difference has been using DME as opposed to liquid malt extract. Liquid malt extract is going to give you a darker color. Uh, there's that sort of extract twang that a lot of people talk about. i i I, i'm kind of talking out of my ass if i if i tell you that it's there because i've never used liquid malt extract in my life um but i have drinking my share or drinking my share of those beers and i've never i never seem to really like them but uh dme man um i mean you've had some of these beers they're hard it's hard to tell so my advice and and the way the formula we're going to stick to or the format we're going to stick to when it comes to giving a uh uh, uh, extract recipe is going to involve uh, DME. So what you want to do, everything is going to be the same, your hop schedule, your fermentation temp, everything uh, like that. But I, I'm going to recommend a full volume extract batch instead of the, the partial match thing. You'd have to adjust your hop volumes if you're going to do a, uh, sorry, partial boil rather. Uh, but when it comes to the fermentables, w- uh, I'm going to recommend that you use four kgs of, uh, I think it's, golden light uh breeze dme so the breeze golden light dme that you can find uh most most brew shops here in new zealand and we're just gonna leave the gladiator out for this recipe because gladiator again it's pretty i I don't know necessarily all the specifics of gladiator but it's from what i gather it's pretty close to carapils and you kind of want to mash that you can steep it but uh you kind of want to mash that so we're going to leave that out because the Brees um, uh, Light DME does have some carapils in it. It may not be quite as much. It might be a percentage shy, but it's going to get us pretty close. Um, it's probably going to give us a, a similar body to what Ron was describing. Um, and so we're going to use that for our, our main fermentable. And we're just going to, before we add that, we're just going to steep, this uh, 510 grams of caramel and 140 grams of caramunic 1 you steep that for about 30 minutes at about uh, uh sorry i'm in uh fahrenheit here what is uh 160 fahrenheit in celsius That's going to be around 160 or sorry around 67 degrees ish i think that's 152 67 but so steep that somewhere in the 67 68 degrees for about 30 minutes you can even get really lazy about it and just toss it in as you start heating up your water and uh you know by the time you're up around uh what's the what's that temp in celsius gary where you start pulling out um uh tannins and you know start having astringency problems
1: uh it's obviously 76 i believe but it's probably more to do with uh, are we, where are we at in the process? <laughs> We're ste- um,
0: steeping grains. When do you need to yeah, pull your yeah, grains yeah. out? When, uh, well, when is I it too go, I
1: wouldn't go above 76, but it's it's to do with pH as well. So if you get above pH of about 5.8, then you're really to. To extract some tannins. Um, well, I'm just talking.
0: I'm just talking about ramping up the temp while while you're getting your water to a boil. You know, while it's cold, you throw those grains in there and you leave them there. Uh, if yeah. it was Fahrenheit, it would be 170. I'm kind of a weird mix of Fahrenheit and Celsius. Uh, yeah. When it comes to mash temp, I know Fahrenheit. When it comes to ferment mm. temp, I think in, in yeah, Celsius. Yeah,
1: yeah, but, yeah. So about uh, 76 is okay, the sort so, of the limit that you want to get to, or so 77.
0: When yeah. So when you're around 75, 76, yank that grain bag out. Um, and add your your dry malt extract, and then follow the recipe you know that I gave you for for uh, all grain, and and you should have a beer that's pretty darn close. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, you might have to give a, do a little homebrew batch of that. It's mm. very, it's I mean the uh, yeah, like I said, I have Nelson Sylvan and, and um, Waiiti in my own um, New Zealand IPA, so it'll be interesting to you know give that one a little a little bit of a tickle
0: absolutely all right well thanks so much again big thank you to ron uh for for being on the show sharing that recipe with us thank you gary for joining us again and uh sharing uh your experience and insight and thank you all for listening uh we will be back uh Well, we don't know what the schedule is yet. Somewhere between a week to two weeks with another episode and hopefully another interview. So um, hang tight. And again, go to iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe to the show. That's absolutely essential and crucial to our success. Thanks very much, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.